Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Welcome back everybody to Savage to Sage. I am Daniel, the host. Today I have the joy of being joined by Toaf Day and Matt Hunkler. They are the co-hosts along with our friend Nate Spangle of Get In. And I'll let them talk a little bit more about that. But Toph is also the CEO of Elevate Ventures. And Matt is the CEO and founder of Powder Keg. And first off, I just want to say a welcome to both of you. And thanks for bringing your time and gifts to my show and look forward to hearing your journey. So welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. We're excited to be here. I'm pumped. Let's do this. Spread the gospel, as we like to say. (laughs) I love it. So like you you all know about the concept behind the show, Savage to Sage. We we're looking at the entrepreneurial evolution. So we find that, you know, every entrepreneur starts with has to start with a savagery to stand up their business, to stand up their idea. Um, in some cases, we've interviewed nonprofit leaders who are after a mission, and it just takes this savagery to just get started. And then the hope and the vision is that eventually we're on this evolution towards Sage. But as our mutual friend, Mike Kelly, likes to talk about, it would be off-brand of most entrepreneurs to drop the savage uh, because that is just savagery is like an MO of all entrepreneurs, uh, even if they've, you know, this isn't their first rodeo. But the ultimate vision, I would say that we're trying to cast through the show is is around finishing well because we all have stories. You guys probably have stories maybe in your, your own life of really starting well on a venture. It's really difficult to finish well. You know, Statistics show that most startups fail. Uh, but then also when you, you look at the landscape of entrepreneurs, a lot of people start well. They have a great idea, concept. They have great funding. They might be a very dynamic person, leader, and um what we see often is they leave a lot of damage, you know, in their wake, broken relationships, uh, you know, bad investor situations, companies that fail. And so we want to cast a vision for the, a different way. And I really believe that it starts from within, w- within an entrepreneur that's really focused on, on their inward journey and, you know, what they're learning and how they're growing, transforming through, through the process. And so with that intro, Toph, I wanted to start with you just to give uh, a little bit of background of your entrepreneurship journey. Like, where have you traveled? What have you done? And and what is your focus now? So thank you, Daniel. So um, let's see here. So I guess my my journey in entrepreneurship first started, uh, I started a painting company in college, had 14 painters um, in college. Three of those were professionals full-time and, and then would spool up and down with my fellow collegiate friends. And so did that for two years in Chicago, one year in Indianapolis. And then I went off to Atlanta for about five years. I moved back to Indianapolis, uh, started a broadband company, uh, had a, an automated media reading company, had a billing software company, a commercial real estate development company, bottled water, investment banking, uh, family entertainment, a pet.com, got into AI and machine learning, applied to marketing. I think I forgot one or two in there somewhere. And you know, that that journey was amazing. Where did I, where did it take me? I got to go to the White House twice. I got to meet with the president, uh, met with the president of South Africa. I spent the night on aircraft carriers out at sea, had dinner with the admirals. Like just, just I just got chills. Like places where I never would have dreamed ever going when I first set out on those adventures. So talk about that savagery part, you know, like to, to stand up the companies that you did what what was that like? Describe the qualities or characteristics of that that stage for you. Um, you know, I think I think for me, and I think it's probably different for everybody. With some of these phrases I hear from from lots of entrepreneurial friends over over the years, um, but there's you know there's one phrase I hear a lot that's fear of failure, and I, I think that's that goes with a lot of entrepreneurs, maybe if not all. Why do people start companies? I'm not sure why people start companies because it's absolutely insane, um, almost manic. But it's so exhilarating at the same time. Um, you know, I think I think there's, you know, for me, the way I grew up in the household I grew up in um, didn't really condition me to like authority too much. 
And, uh, and so I'm like, if there's a way I can kind of try to chart my own course, I think I'd like to go that route. Not really knowing how I would get there. Like this deep desire to serve, to try to make situations better. Um, again, I think a lot of that came out of the way I was raised, but um, there's just this deep inner drive to, you know, want to be my own person and to serve others in, in hopes that they would think I had a positive impact on their life. Yeah, I love hearing that. And and that that takes me to where you are now and the role that you're in with Elevate. Talk talk more about that and what's your role in advising startups and scale-ups. Yeah, so I, I never I never thought I would be running an organization like Elevate. I never set out to do that. It's kind of like I always talk to people about just keep poking your your nose through doors and and Many times you won't like what you see on the other side. And every once in a while, you'll look through a door and you'll be like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. You'll step through it. Sometimes you'll step back out. Um, but here I am, you know, 27, 30 years, whatever it is later from starting the first company. And it's just an absolute honor to be the CEO of Elevate Ventures. In fact, today is my one-year anniversary. Oh, wow. Actually, today, nice. my one-year anniversary. Happy anniversary. That's huge. Thank you. <laughs> and so, you know, I have just been more and more passionate over the, the past kind of 12, 15 years about the opportunities that exist here in Indiana uh, that we have as a state. And the opportunity arose to be considered to be the, the successor to Chris Lamoth. And it's just an absolute incredible organization, a great foundation to grow even 10x, you know, over the next 10, 15, 20 years. And so um, we, we are the number one most active uh, investor in the Great Lakes region, number five in the country, number 12 in the world. We invest cross-sector, um, checks of 20,000 to 2 million, any one given round, up to 4 million in a given company, ideation seed, series A. And we have some big growth plans uh, that we're planning ahead of us. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, I'm gonna, we're going to give a little plug to the rally conference a little bit later. So I'll, we'll save up for that because th the plan that I have is to release this show, you know, to give people that are listening a chance to register for that if they haven't awesome. yet. But I'm really excited about that opportunity, especially what it means for Indiana. And that takes me to Matt. Um, and I think about what you've done with Powder Keg and this whole idea of, of the Unvalley and making a market like Indianapolis, as well as other markets that Powder Keg is really heavily involved in you know, helping put those, those markets and those companies that are outside of, you know, the traditional zone of investment on, on the map. And so what, what was it for you that you had that feeling in your belly? Like I, I need to step out and start this. I, I think in a lot of ways uh, I was born with it. You know, I, I've listened to a few past episodes of this show and I think the the theme of generational entrepreneur has definitely come up before uh, my, my great grandfather had a business. My grandfather had a business, Hunkler products, you know, that was, uh, the family business for giant Catholic side of the family. Um, you know, employed a hundred plus people up in Huntington, Indiana. He was just an, an inventor engineer, but just a, a really sharp business person. And, um, I, I think I kind of picked up the passion through osmosis, maybe, um, just my whole family. Anytime uh, someone's thinking through something like there was always like a creative idea or, hey, let's go build that in the shop or, hey, let's go see if we can can go fix that. I think similar to TOEF, like a, a desire to kind of serve or make things better for people, you know, leave the world in a better place than you found it kind of thing. Um, and I, I don't pretend to be able to do that as like a single human. Uh, it, it takes a village. It takes a community. And I think that's part of what led me to the work I do with Powder Keg, um, but certainly not without my bumps and bruises with ventures prior <laughs> to that. Um, got got lucky on on my first business, which I started in, in high school, literally taking my passion of music. And I had a vinyl record player because I, th I thought I wanted to DJ, but then realized it wasn't actually fun to be at the party standing behind the DJ booth because you can't really like <laughs> dance with any girls behind the DJ booth. Um, so I ended up having this extra equipment and my, my dad was like, hey, how could you turn that into an asset? How could you turn this investment you made and not an asset in the terms of like, um, you know, dollars and cents balance sheet, you know, technically equipment is an asset, um, but a different definition, which I think he borrowed from Robert Kiyosaki, the guy who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
which he redefined an asset as something that can actually make you money and earn income. And uh, he just so happened to be listening to NPR and heard about this person that started a business taking vinyl records and digitizing them onto CD, which was the media format that was super popular at the time. Everybody had brand new CD players in their car. And um, my first business was literally taking an investment I made that was just sitting on the shelf and figuring out this before USB turntables, figuring out how to you know put it through an amplifier, daisy chain some stuff together and get it into a computer so that I could digitize vinyl records for people. And um, once I realized I could do that rather than delivering newspapers for six cents a newspaper, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, wait a second. You mean I get paid in relation to like how much I'm working? And, you know, it, it, in a lot of ways, it was a business. But in other ways, I was just kind of self-employed because I was the person who was, you know, putting the needle on the record. I was the person who was chopping those into tracks and digitizing and remastering. Um, but, you know, you learn a lot by by doing that. And um, that for me is kind of what put the spark or, or fire in my belly was, oh, OK, my grandpa parents can do this. My dad can do this. I can do this. And, you know, as a 16 year old kid, that's pretty, that's pretty empowering. Yeah. I think we should have drinks sometime and just tell some paper route stories because (laughs) I have some good ones. Cause I had a, I had a nursing home on my route, which, Oh, wow. Yeah. So, which occasionally led, led to some dramatic encounters with elderly people. So yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I think I had the yeah. smallest paper out in all of West Lafayette. I did not live in a very big okay. neighborhood. And so it was like, you know, 30 bucks a week, maybe every two weeks. It was, it was not a lot of lunch money, but it was something. Um, and that at least got me trained to, oh, okay, hard work pays off you know getting up at 5 a.m putting your putting your hour or so in uh pays off and that's kind of how i started the records business was just going door to door hey do you have vinyl records you ever listen to them yeah my mom didn't either wouldn't you like those on cds so you could listen to them and that was that was the pitch oh and also help me get help me get to europe (laughs) because i was saving up for a trip to europe with the student ambassador group i think that helped too cause marketing definitely helped (laughs) yeah I like it. So here's here's a question for both of you. In in those times of savagery that you can remember back to to get your ventures up and running and may, maybe think about your most recent, I mean, I'm not going to dictate what's, which story you tell, but like your most recent ventures, um, Matt, you with Powder Keg, Toph, I know you had a, a venture prior to Elevate. Um, it's, it's more in that, you know, that tech space, but you're you're delivered like a lot of challenges, hard knocks that, and it's just it can be very exhausting, physically taxing to to keep going. So, what was it for you that just kept you pressing through to in in those savage days when you know it felt like everything was against you? Well, in the in the previous company, um, which they're still cranking, uh, demand jump we we figured out something that that I experienced as a previous CEO of multiple businesses and that was um these nasty words like SEO and content and i was so frustrated with marketing that like the paid side you you know i mean you can do that right you can it's easy to measure so that's a different can of worms but like how do you get people to see you organically you know throughout their customer journey and you hear all these phrases, customer journey, and all this kind of stuff in marketing. But we had figured out how to mathematically unwind words that come from the human brain down your arms, through your fingertips, onto a keyboard, into the internet. It was all the smart devices. Like the internet is a reflection of the human brain today. Like it is. It is the human brain. And so um, we figured out how to actually enable people to write content that will dramatically increase your odds of being above the fold on page one. And um, so it was like, I mean, it was real and it is real. And, uh, and so it was that it was like, Holy cow, we've solved something that I lived the pain for 25 years or whatever it was 
And so it was that and changing the product to be able to deliver that in a more efficient way and moving from more of an enterprise platform to a PLG-esque type model. Well, that's a bumpy road. <laughs> it, doesn't take, it doesn't take a week or two. It takes like a couple of years, right? And um, so anyways, but it was that, it was that uh, just, I don't know, like, like excitement, passion, pride of what we really discovered something new and unique and interesting. And this is going to change at least a subsection of people's lives, right? Not every marketer, mm-hmm. but marketers who are in around SEO content, et cetera, it like literally changed their lives. Um, that was a big driver. But the switch was painful. Yeah. When you faced like adversity, whether it's personal, professional, and it's just like you know, that feeling of, oh, should I give up now? Like what what was it for you that just kept kept you going, kept you pushing? This uh, some of these words I guess get overused, but they're really so critical. Um, and you should always pause and 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 self-reflect or you know, I, I've never been an advocate of like pivot being a bad word. I think pivot's a great thing. Like if you're not always pivoting, then you probably should question if you should be an entrepreneur, right? As you're trying to figure out product market fit, et cetera. But like, it's just good old perseverance, just one foot in front of the, in front of the other. And most, a lot of, a lot of failure happens when you just give up too early. Matt, what about for you to, you know, keep that flame going? I, I know from knowing a little bit of your story and then, where you, I feel like you hit this apex with powder keg, like right before the pandemic and then the pandemic dramatically changed your business. So like, what's, what's it been for you? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'll, I'll try to give a short answer, but I, I'm just reflecting on all the businesses, all the experiences. I was so grateful to have here in the state of Indiana. Uh, I started a company right after I sold my business. I started in college. Uh, I joined the Orr Fellowship Program. And so I was around all these amazing entrepreneurial young leaders, but also had access to some of the most uh, prolific and talented entrepreneurs in the state of Indiana. People like Mark Hill of, of Baker Hill, uh, Scott Jones, who started ChaCha, invented voicemail, you know, Grace Note, which powers all of iTunes. And so I was just in this awesome community that I just kind of dropped into and built more connective tissue around just almost out of pure instinct. And, um, you know, a lot of people talk about like product market fit. Fewer people talk about founder market fit. And I wish I had known that lesson. I think people tried to tell me and I just didn't listen because I was young and dumb. Uh, but I, I had a business I started when I was an Aura fellow that was e-commerce business for non-toxic personal care products and cosmetics. Meanwhile, I had this thing called Verge that was like, I didn't even think of it as a business. It was just a community of tech entrepreneurs and investors that I was spending nights and weekends doing without even thinking about it. And it was because I was passionate about it. You know, the, this whole idea of like, this person needs to meet this person and let me make sure they're both into it. And if they are, I want to I connect them because this is just a great opportunity. Or let's host an event and get these people together face-to-face where we can riff on ideas, sh- share things, learn from people like Toph, who was one of our first uh, fireside chats, you know, sharing from his experiences um, as a serial entrepreneur. This is back in like 2010 or 11. It's a long time ago. And frankly, I, I always kind of neglected that as a business. I was like, oh, that's not a real business. That's you know, that's just community. That's just building a good network. Uh, but I also found time for it. And what ended up happening with that e-commerce business is I, I just didn't have the staying power. And I gave it three good years. But to Toph's point, a lot of reasons businesses fail is just the founders quit. And it was because I didn't have the fire in the belly about the problem. You know, my co-founder, he had kids and he was like, I don't want my kids to use toxic personal care products and cosmetics. And I'm like, I use soap sometimes. You know, I use soap now. Every other Sunday, every other Sunday where you need it or not. <laughs> and and I was just like, I, I didn't have the staying power. Um, and I went from there to going and working with Scott Jones, um, working on content at Cha Cha and, and running all of content there. 
uh, filling in Schaden Schwegman's shoes because he left <laughs> to go work with Tove on Demand Jump and left me to run content for ChaCha and spin off an influencer marketing platform. And it was a largely venture-funded business, I think over $100 million in funding. And it was just a grind. And I wasn't passionate about it. You know, I got to work with brands like MTV and uh, CBS and like giant media companies, but it didn't bring me alive. Like there was a small dopamine hit of, you know, like getting the win or, you know, putting a notch on the belt and like that next thing. But, you know, these are big companies. You don't really get to see who it's actually impacting. And with Verge, this community, I was getting to see, to Toast Point, like to work with customers and see how your product, which Verge was literally, the product was just community. Um, getting to see that make, like change people's lives, like change their careers, give them a livelihood to be able to support their entire family. And so I ran that as a lifestyle business after after burning out on the venture funded, you know, treadmill with Scott. I love Scott. I learned t- 10 years of life lessons, business lessons in one year at Cha-Cha. But I just needed to run the lifestyle business for a few years after that. And it was in running that lifestyle business that I started to... Maybe this is a little bit what Savage to Sage is about, although I was st- still still pretty savage. I was taking every opportunity, you know, put me on a plane to New Zealand. I'm going to go speak on stage around that country. You know, put me on a plane to Aruba. I'm going to go in and see how I can help startups there. Um, and I got so much experience doing that. And it was in that experience that I really saw this pattern of problems. Every community is very different. but um, in these non-traditional tech hubs, a lot of the problems that entrepreneurs and executives and investors are facing in those communities are similar. And um, for me, it was a founder market fit opportunity. And going and, and pitching that and trying to raise money uh, pre-2020 was not easy um, in the state of, of Indiana. Frankly, in anywhere but Silicon Valley, I think that would have been hard because this is this was very much community-driven business before community businesses were cool. Very much uh, content-driven business before content businesses were cool. And yeah, it took a lot of people saying no in order to raise our initial friends and family to uh, go after this and actually build a digital platform. Um, And I I would not have had the fire in the belly unless there was that founder market fit. It was the sort of thing that I would do. I was doing it without getting paid for almost a decade before... I ever took a salary, you know, from that company. Yeah. Well, founder market fit. That's, I feel like you need to trademark that first of all. Um, I think I stole it from someone. Yeah. Or write a book on that. But you, both of you now with what you do with powder keg and TOEF with elevate, I mean, you're, you're looking at product market fit to determine, you know, who, who elevate invest in, but, what, what, I mean, Matt, you might be looking at it more from a qualitative perspective as you're supporting founders, but like, how do you, how do you know that someone has like that founder market fit? Like what, what are you looking for? Um, you know, what do you, what do you see in yourself, Matt, as you, you know, have that reflection of like, yes, this is a, this is a fit for me. Like, uh, for me, the, the litmus test is, uh, is this a problem I'm passionate about solving? And can I relate to it personally? Even if I haven't been at a company doing 10 plus million dollars in revenue as the CEO, um, I have a lot of friends who have been there and know well and have heard firsthand. And I've been, that, I've been in that role at a smaller scale or been in that role supporting that person you know, as a CMO or as a VP of product. Um, and so... To me, it's really about like, how do you relate to the problem and the pain point? And does that connect on a, not even just emotional level, but uh, I hate to get woo-woo on this show, but, uh, you know, almost on a spiritual level, like, do I, do I see like what I'm doing is part of something bigger and, and not from like an ego standpoint, almost from the opposite of ego, from like an egoless standpoint, you know, even if I benefit nothing from this endeavor. Will I feel good about have ma- making this contribution, and and will I have fun while doing it? That's that's a big litmus test for me too, because uh, I've been in roles where it's not fun, and you just got to grind it out and grind it out and grind it out. 
Um, and there's always those, those seasons, but, um, at the end of the day, you're going to have a lot more staying power if, if there's seasons of fun in there too. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. And Toe, from your perspective, I, I know Elevate has a very thorough due diligence process to determine investments. And so what Matt is talking about, like, how do you and your, and how do you train your team to look for that? as well, because obviously that's going to be a key characteristic of how successful a company is going to be. You can feel it. Um, and, and I think there's different things that get looked at at different stages of a company. So if it's ideation stage, pre-seed stage, um, it really comes down to grit and creativity. Uh, do the founder or the founders, do they exhibit grit and creativity? And you can just feel that in the discussions with them. So really, you're investing more in the people at that stage. Because guaranteed, whatever they think they're going to do is not what they're going to do. It's going to change, right? And, um, you know, are they are they open? Do they know everything? Or are they open to, you know, listening and being curious and talking to customers and not just, I know exactly what needs to be done and we're going to do it and then we're going to go sell it all, Right. So that, that, that's really what we're looking for in the beginning. Then the second piece would be, have they exhibited product market fit? And that's about selling the early customers. And the, the third stage is metrics, right? Then do the metrics support you know, the future forecast? Those are kind of the three main buckets. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think it's, so, it, it, it's not objective in the early stages. It's definitely subjective. And, and you get there through conversation. If there's one thing I've learned in seeing thousands of companies pitch on stage around the world is I cannot judge who the winners are based on the idea. Like if someone's like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about investing in this startup that does X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. You know, they've, they've got less than a million in funding. Like you think I should do it. And uh, I cannot make those predictions. But you let me have a beer with a founder or a cup of coffee or, you know, whatever, I, I don't golf, but, you know, play a game of basketball with someone, <laughs> uh, and, you know, t talk about it, which Toph and I used to do all the time, um, you know, and, and talk business, you know, on the sidelines in between games, like I can totally, I can yeah. totally see a trend there. Yep. Yeah. I hear the conversations are especially good in Aruba with founders so yeah they are so, not bad they are yeah. definitely not bad <laughs> but <laughs> second question is why did you stop playing basketball besides injuries so like why don't you do that anymore that's a great question Toph, i started again did you yeah, just did a couple weeks ago I, in fact i found myself in a game with a bunch of high school varsity players and i'm not sure if that's a good idea after a seven-year layoff um, it was pretty brutal, Matt. I'm just telling you right now. You think I you think hey. I looked slow back then? <laughs> it was like I was carrying around two tree stumps. <laughs> if you if you need oh. someone else to show up on the court and uh, look slow with you, I I'm more than happy to oblige. I, I like it. Honestly, honestly, uh, my my challenge, Daniel, is actually it. I didn't think about this before the show, but it's actually very similar to Savage to Sage. A lot of my success in basketball. Uh, not that I had any success from like a <laughs> like career standpoint, but when it, you know when I'm playing well, a big part of why I play well is just hustle. It's like purely grit, diving for the loose ball that people aren't willing to dive for, going up for the block when a lot of people would just be like, "Ah, eh, not worth it." And um, I've had to retrain myself how to do that, and I, I think I have been thinking about getting back on the court, but it needs to come with sh shifting gears from savage to sage and saying, you know what, I'm not going to die for that loose ball because I'm going to sneak around behind and pick the ball away from someone else. Once they get the ball, I'm going to let them dive for it, save my knees or my ankles. <laughs> and <laughs> Cause you know, I I'm approaching late thirties here. I, I can't be, uh, you know, I can't be one legged hopping on the stage uh, when we do our next powder keg event. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I am a, a former basketball player as well, so I might we not, it's a might very need to Indiana start, podcast right yeah, now. We might need to start a league. So I'm in. We used to do a, a tech uh, pickup game at 
the, out of like all the startup and tech folks in the indie community up at Scott Jones house back when he had that indoor court. Um, those were some really fun games, especially because he had like a three quarter size court, you know, not the full, yeah. full, exactly. full version. <laughs> it was, you could just backpedal, you know, three steps and you're across the court. It was like, Hey, this is wonderful. Uh, I, I would, I would kill to have that space again. That's ideal right there. Yeah. So as you were talking about, like you can see it, you can feel it with, with a founder when, when they have it, I've heard, I had a conversation with a, a venture capital um, partner one time and just around this concept of like, why do we, why do we keep burning out so many founders and entrepreneurs? And, and these are people that I would say that they have that, that passion that we're talking about. And, and the person looked me in the eye, he's like, First off, Daniel, you know, we don't put this anywhere on our metrics for due diligence, but one of the things we look at is 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 this entrepreneur crazy enough to to make this, you know, investment worth it? And and secondly, he's like if you could if you could give us this and this was a very um, Midwest type person that wasn't going to put up with the, you know, what in his words, the West Coast soft woo-woo like type investment. He was like, if you can give me the metrics around how, you know, how to prevent burnout for founders, like we would definitely take some of those, you know, strategies, but we've never seen any metrics around providing, you know, support for that entrepreneur to, you know, build without burnout. And so it just he basically was like, this just sounds like some, you know, West Coast woo-woo idea. I'm just curious for your thoughts on that, because you've both I mean, you've had your seasons, I'm sure, of like burning out, being exhausted because businesses bring that in certain seasons, but you've kept going. And so what do you feel like is key for entrepreneurs who not just start well, but also finish well? What are they doing in between starting and finishing, you know, to help sustain them and not become, you know, the person who becomes an alcoholic, you know, breaks up their family? you know, has mental health issues, like, et cetera, et cetera, of like the common story we hear about a lot of people in this space. Yeah, I think, you know, I think some of that honestly comes down to DNA. And sometimes the DNA, you're more prone to head certain directions. I think that's just part of it. Um, how to help alleviate that. Um, there was a phrase I learned right out of college that was managed by fact. And if you manage by fact, you can virtually never get in trouble, really. Um, like the facts are always good enough. There's no reason to embellish the facts. Um, it just gets in trouble. Quite honestly, I think investors are partly to, brain, to blame. You know, we, we, we set these best in class and, and sure, are they, are they great metrics? You know, 120%, you know, net retention and 100% plus growth year over year, whatever. Is that all that great? Yeah. But look at all the companies that were built out there that grew at 20 or 30% a year over 20 or 30 years, right? And now they're worth hundreds of millions or a billion dollars. Now, in tech's a little bit different because you've got, you know, you start a company in the middle corridor and somebody raises, you know, one, two, three million dollars to start a company. And on the coast, they raise 10. And, but at the end of the day, it comes down to execution. Good old fashioned block and tackle execution. And they also burn a lot more money, right? And there was a stat I saw somewhere recently. I wish I could remember where that was. It was several months ago. Um, but middle companies in the middle quarter actually provide a better return on investment than companies on the coast to investors. There was a study that was done by somebody. I wish I could remember who that was. Um, I think I put it on LinkedIn or I saw somebody put it on LinkedIn. But mathematically, middle quarter companies provide a better return to investors. That's pretty incredible. When you think about it. And so, you know, I think, I think, you know, there's, there can be false positives, you know, growth at all costs. We just went through a 10 year run where it's like growth at all costs. And so people ignore the false positives from a product market fit. And so they just power down and go ramp up the sales team by three, four, five X, whatever. And by, by the time they realize that doesn't work, it's, it's one, one year, 18 months, 24 months later. And they burn through whatever, $5 million. And, and then now they've got a riff and they've got a downsize or whatever. And all that pressure is being applied from the investors. I think I, I see a lot of boards and just try to really encourage good board hygiene. 
really being thoughtful for the founder and not getting into minutia, but like helping the founder, you know, keep their eyes on the horizon and thinking in terms of three, God, I could talk for hours about this, but I just get back to basic concepts. I think people over, people overcomplicate. I'm talking about investors, board members, entrepreneurs, departmental leaders, humans, for whatever reason, tend to overcomplicate things. And it's really doesn't need to be that hard. Just manage by fact. I want to mention, um, I'm reading a book right now called Halftime by Bob Buford. Now, this isn't necessarily 100%. This is more of the life band, right, of an entrepreneur. And it talks about kind of four phases you go through. Struggle, success, significance, and surrender. And I think this also applies in the micro case of a given company, right, that an entrepreneur is trying to, to start, build, and grow. But there's a, a lot of us feel that whatever feelings or thoughts we're having, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, whatever it is, it's another natural human trait to withdraw and think I'm the only one. And, oh, my gosh, I can't tell anybody because they're going to think I'm a complete loser if they, you know, if they find this out. Find your safe place with your, with your friends, right? Peers, whatever. I actually, I've been meeting with a group of CEOs for over 20 years every month. And the value that we all get from that is, is priceless, actually. That, that's why we built the powder keg community is we wanted to make a, a, an ecosystem first here in Indianapolis, which is where it started, where it was okay to fail and adapting you know, that sort of core tenant that at the time was more prevalent in Silicon Valley. That was before Silicon Valley unbundled. And we could say, oh, I like that part of Silicon Valley. Let's bring that here. And oh, I, I like this kind of ethos. Let's bring that here. But, um, you know, bringing that ability to say, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. But if I fail, uh, this group, this community is going to say, hey, way to go after it. You did your best. Here's what you could have done better. You know, maybe you take some time to regroup. But there's a community there to say, I'm going to go after it again. Or, hey, I met this other person along the way. Maybe I'd like to go start a company with them, like Tof did with Sean at, at uh, Demand Jump. Um, and and so I, I, I think you're spot on, uh, Tof, is that the the burnout happens when you don't have that community, when you don't reach out to uh, the support system and say, hey, I'm struggling. That, that is literally how I, we had our first event. So I was struggling with this e-commerce business. And I'm like, I feel like I'm a smart guy. Like, I got good grades. You know, I went to business school. <laughs> what, what is, what am I getting wrong here? Let me find all the smartest guys I know. Uh, and at the time it was just guys because that was just the sphere I was in. It was before I understood how to create more inclusive communities. But there were 12 of us in a back room of a bar and I pitched my business. This is before Shark Tank existed. And I was pitching not for funding, but like, hey, what am I doing wrong here? <laughs> like, here's what I got. And because I brought the group of people together, two other guys were like, hey, can I share what I'm doing too? Like, this is an awesome group of people. And then the, the event ended and they're like, hey, uh, when's the next one? And I was kind of like, well, when's the next one what? <laughs> uh, like, when's the next one of these? This was awesome. And uh, I literally tried not to start it because I was like, I don't have time for this. I'm busy trying to build this e-commerce business. Um, but it, there is such a strong need for community, especially amongst people in the world of startups and innovation-driven companies. And uh, the fact that you can have that both locally and globally now at the same time, it's just a huge opportunity. I, I feel like we're still just like, just before the inflection point of the explosion of of growth we're going to see in in tech and entrepreneurship entrepreneurial careers I, I think careers are going to move more and more towards everybody thinks of themselves as an entrepreneur in some way shape or form um and i'm not saying anything that's novel here a lot of other people believe this too um but i i would be remiss too if i didn't say like one of the biggest benefits i've had the last i don't know five six years is just going to therapy regularly. I, I have had a therapist now for six plus years. Um, my mom's a mental health counselor. She's never been my mental health counselor. That would be a really bad idea. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like I, I, I saw that value early on and I, sh I wish I had taken it earlier, but I'm glad I did when I did when I was, you know, turning 30. And um, just having that weekly check-in with someone, I, I feel like 
learning yourself and going on an inward journey and um, helping kind of close loops on old stories and see how those old stories are showing up in your business or showing up in your professional relationships or your romantic relationships. So I'm here at home. And so I gestured towards my wife who's probably sitting in the other room. Um, you know, that, that investment is the hardest investment I've ever made, the most taxing investment I've ever made, but is paying the most dividends. Uh, high, highest risk, highest reward, right? You know, there's another phrase that I heard recently, Matt, um, that Kevin Bailey talks about in um, mental performance, right? And so we always think of performance in the in the physical act, right? So sports or, you know, we're executing the business or whatever it is. Um, but it's always like the, it's always in the physical motion, the physical body or hard numbers or whatever. Well, what about mental performance? Right. And, and I, I really love that, that term, you know, whether it's mental performance or mental health, um, you know, visualization, you know, techniques, Kevin Bailey's big into that. Uh, Matt and I have talked about yoga Nidra before. Uh, it's all about energy. I'm a big believer in energy and, and focus and, and, you know, meditation, relaxing the body, the, the mind, the spirit, the soul, get rid of the noise, the stuff that just doesn't matter in life. You know, if there's folks that are creating drama, just, just let that drama go. Does it need to be a part of the, of the next step? And, um, and, and really just focusing on the, the one or two things that matter, right. Or, or what that one next goal is. It's just amazing how much lighter you feel. Amen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's, what with what you're both of you are saying, I'm having like this convergence of of sorts right now. And I think one of the, I actually heard Kevin speak last week at a, a little gathering of CEOs and he he talked about, you know, mentally visualizing, you know, where you believe you want yourself to be and your company to be, you know, down the road and how powerful that can be to, to manifest that. But in order to do that, like you have to embrace what is and love what is currently, you know, because a lot of times we think about, oh, this is what I want to have happen, you know, but it's it's a rejection of what what is currently because it's it's hard. And and I think, Matt, I've just I'm remembering back to when I was first on the powder keg scene and, you know, showing up as a sales guy that's trying to give as many business cards away as possible. Like I. I just remember seeing like CEOs standing back, like behind the scenes, you know, sharing a drink together. So like, I think I saw people crying at one point, you know, and just, it was like, I wanted to go up and be like, introduce myself and interject. And, but there was just something sacred about that connection that was happening between the two of them, because it was like, they were sharing life. They were, you know, sharing what is currently and, you know, maybe venting or commiserating on how hard it was for them. All the above at one time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it was like, it would, it would be so cheap of me right now to go up and be like, I'm Daniel from full stack, you know, and like, can I have your card? Uh, But because there was something, there was something sacred happening. And I, you know, I've heard stories from like business advisors who've gotten the call from founders who, you know, are considering, you know, ending their life because they've spent so much time and investor money on putting a product to market and then nobody wants to buy it. And it's just like, what's this life for? And like those, those advisors kind of talking that person off the ledge and everything that you all are saying, it's just a reminder, like we're not alone. And the biggest, I think the biggest myth or lie in, in this journey, entrepreneurial journey is that that someone is alone, that they have to like, you know, pick themselves up by their own bootstraps and, and do it. And yet, like what you both are saying is, you know, you need other people in the journey. And that might be the the most sage thing that we can do is not to just lean inward in ourselves, but really lean outward toward, toward other people to carry us along and knowing that we'll be carrying them along as well. Yeah, man, I, I totally agree. And um, I, I love the message that you share here on on Savage to Sage. I think that's a big part of what it means to go from Savage to Sage is, um, at least as an entrepreneur and in business, 
And I'm not saying this necessarily as a professed sage or more someone who's learning that transition is life is about a whole lot more than business. And uh, even if you're just thinking about business, it's not even about the business. It's about the relationships and it's about the people that you're helping or the people you're trying to help. And that's a good just reminder. I I love that context, Daniel. Yeah, it's good. And it feels like a really good place to end too. I, I always hesitate to be like, let's let's now advertise for, you know, something that you both are working on. But I think at the same time, like it it really connects because I see rally not only as this like, you know, hoorah event that's gonna bring a lot of people together, but it's also I would say an opportunity for entrepreneurs across the state, region, you know, I don't how far your reach is to, to really yeah, it's global, like to to gather together. So talk a little bit about, you know, vision around that and like why it's important for whoever's listening to to consider coming. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much for giving us a chance to chat about that. So Rally, we're building the world's largest cross-sector innovation conference. And kind of the whole premise behind Rally is um, there's a there's a phenomenon called the productivity boom that global economists talk about. And it's largely about the the rapid acceleration of the disruption of data and technology cross-sector. It's it's just faster than ever before. This started occurring about seven, 10 years ago, largely because of computational power that we never had before, database structures that we didn't have before. And then the, all this math, the AI stuff, math, that stuff's been around forever, centuries. Literally, this math has been around for centuries. We could just never commercialize it because we didn't have the computational power. So now we have that. And so all of this stuff is moving faster and faster. And these sectors and verticals are just, the lines are getting blurred. So if, I, if I'm going to bring a product to market, it's, it's not just healthcare or soft, you know, sports tech or software or hard, to, you know, whatever. It's, it's all this stuff mashing together and the, the absolute requirement to have these disparate skill sets on the same team. So Rally um, is launching August 29th to 31st. It's going to be the largest cross-sector innovation conference. So it's focused on cross-sector and disparate stakeholder all in one place at the same time to enable creative collisions. Um, We have a $5 million pitch competition, 483 pitch applications from 38 countries submitted for that. We're going to have software, hard tech, ag and food, healthcare, sports tech, a sixth track for uh, entrepreneurship. That's more of a catch-all for what we can't get to in year one. There's going to be almost 1,500 meetings that happen in two days between investors and companies, one-on-one meetups. There's going to be a demo arena where we're showcasing about 150 different companies and innovation cross-sector. Over 200 speakers. We've got Peyton Manning, we've got Magic Johnson, Crystal Washington, Victoria Arlen, Victor Wang, Moira Gunn. These are all awesome superstars in their own respective disciplines. And uh, it's just going to be amazing. And when I, when I say disparate stakeholders, by the way, I'm not, I'm not just talking about CEOs of different types of companies. I'm talking about universities, right? Innovation centers and universities. I'm talking about the talent in universities and even high schools. I'm talking about philanthropic leaders. I'm talking about legislators, mayors, VCs, angels. All of these disparate stakeholders all have a role to play in the innovation economy. So we're just trying to make it super easy for people to break outside of their kind of their wet paper bag get outside of their comfort zone, get outside of their vertical and meet partners that can take in places they never thought about, meet talent that they never thought they would reach, right? Get customers they never even thought about. The creative collisions that happen out of these types of things are insane. The biggest breakthroughs I've had in every single business came from someone outside of my industry every single time. Yeah. And and Powder Keg is actually going to be hosting our fifth annual Powder Keg Awards uh, it is a na- national awards, more than 5,000 companies um, we've considered uh, taking both both first party and third party data. We're going to be announcing those winners on stage at Rally on the last day, right before Magic Johnson's keynote. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. Um, and and I'll, I'll go real quick for those that are interested in getting plugged into the biggest opportunities in tech. They're happening in these fast-growing tech hubs like Indianapolis, like what you're seeing here in Indiana and what you're seeing across the world beyond Silicon Valley. That is where the outsized opportunity is. Um, And we have a free newsletter that goes out weekly that is curated by more than 100 advisors around the country, finding the top news in tech, biggest fundraises, biggest acquisitions, uh, biggest new technological breakthroughs around the world. 
directly to your inbox in a skimmable format uh, every single week. And it includes all the podcasts we do, including the one Toph and I do called Get In, um, which goes deep on just entrepreneurial stories. A lot of them are rooted here in Indiana, hence the name Get In. Um, And if you're interested in that, I I would be remiss if I didn't say, uh, definitely go check out powderkeg.com slash Indiana, because you can learn all about the Indiana innovation ecosystem, um, which Elevate is really kind of the platform for in a lot of ways. Um, And you'll get the Get In podcast, which we've got to have you on here soon, Daniel. Uh, It would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And it'd be awesome to bring Dawn, uh, our co-founder on too. she and I can riff back and forth and make some jokes. So, um, yeah. And as you guys are talking to and Toph, especially with what you said, like, I want to end by just saying, like, it, it takes a village. And that that's a metaphor, or a cliche statement that I think originated from raising a child, you know, takes a village um, when you know, parents are really sage. They realize like, I can't be the only one in this village that parents them. I need to like, let them be influenced by other adults in this context that I'm thinking about, like in order for, you know, startups, scale-ups and the, the ecosystem to be successful, it really takes a village. And so I love that you all are kind of bringing rally together around that, that truism and that sage wisdom. And, um, yeah, so we will, um, I'll make sure this gets moved up in production so that we can release this um, in the next couple of weeks. And awesome, so that we can get this get the message out because I'm I'm excited to attend, and I think I have at least ten friends that are I've invited to come. And so, but yeah, it's going to be great. And um, we'll we'll drop in the show notes too some info about both of you and and Elevate and Powder Keg. So thanks again, and much love to both of you. Thanks, Daniel. You as well. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for all you do, man. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.